Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for this unmeasured grace. Lord, we thank you that it cannot be measured. If you gave us a small portion, it would not be enough for us because we are a needy people who leak grace. And so we thank you that you just pour lavishly your love into our lives, moment by moment, day by day, giving us grace like manna that we so desperately need. And Father, we need that same grace right now. Lord, I need it to stand here and speak to your people. Would you be pleased to rule and overrule uh, the folly and sin of my lips that we might hear, not from me, but from you and your words? And would you please, Lord, be pleased, Lord, to, to stir up your spirit in our hearts that we would receive your word in meekness and in humility, that our hearts would be disposed toward you and inclined to hear from you in this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So are you one of these people that love surprises, or are you one of these people that hates surprises? One way you can find out is by thinking, do you like surprise parties, or do you hate surprise parties? Some people love surprise parties, and they just get really excited by the whole concept, and perhaps they love planning them and are just giddy for weeks, or some people even love receiving a surprise party, and for weeks they'll go around telling their friends, I had no idea, I was so surprised, it was just, it's just great. Other people, not so much. Other people hate surprise parties, and the, just the, the thought of having a surprise party for yourself just makes you feel a little awkward. It makes you just feel a little kind of, ugh. And you just feel like, you know, I don't want a bunch of people leaping out and telling me how to feel. Surprise. Um, that's not my idea of fun. I don't like that concept. Or uh, perhaps you can tell if you like surprises by, by how you wrap presents. Are you, are you a surprise wrapper? Rapper with a W, not like hip-hop. Um, <laughs> that would be surprising, right? Um, a surprise gift wrapper. Are you one of these people who will get a really small gift and wrap it up in a big box so that the person you're giving it to has no idea at what's contained within the gift? Or maybe you're not. Maybe you're one of these people who just like simple gifts uh, with loved ones. Whether you love or hate surprises, whether you're a surprise wrapper or not, this passage gives us one important principle for, for biblical surprises. One important way to think about how God sometimes surprises us. We can state the principle this way, that surprises are the wrapping paper in which sovereignty sometimes comes. Surprises are the wrapping paper in which sovereignty sometimes comes. Let's look at the text and see how this plays out together. Starting in verse 19, we read that Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. Elisha's call here to be the next prophet, to be Elijah's successor, comes as a complete surprise. It comes out of the blue. He is having a normal day on the family farm. He has risen with the sun, he has washed, he has had his coffee and his bagel or whatever he had in that day, and he has set off to get on with the day's work. He has walked across those uh, dew-covered fields and he has felt the fresh air and he has arrived at the animals and he has prepared them for work and then he has taken them to the fields and they have begun to plow back and forth, back 
and forth. Back and forth again, and then back and forth some more. There is dirt on his hands, there is sweat on his brow. He is doing the same thing that he has done a thousand days before. Then, out of the blue, Elijah appears. Now, Elijah has a habit of doing this, appearing out of nowhere. Elisha looks up from the sound and the activity of the animals, and he sees this man approaching. And it's interesting that no words are exchanged. Elijah just takes off his cloak, walks up to Elisha, throws it upon him, and keeps on walking. An unusual and strange sort of scene. What's happening here is it's a symbolic act whereby Elijah is naming Elisha as his successor, as the next key prophet in Israel. Elisha then ate breakfast as a farmer, and by lunchtime he's been named prophet in waiting. This is a surprising event, a surprising, sudden, unexpected turn of events from Elisha's perspective. But from God's perspective, none of this is surprising. In fact, from God's perspective, all of this is sovereign. God did not tell Elijah to go out randomly, find the first person that he saw, and anoint him as prophet in Israel. No. Look at verse 16. We didn't read that in the text together. But look at verse 16. Here God says to Elijah that Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. God isn't ruling a haphazard seat-of-the-pants operation where he just randomly decides things. He is being very, very specific and careful that Elijah is to anoint this man in particular to be the next prophet. Elijah has to walk 160 miles from where he is to where Elisha lives in order to keep this divine appointment. Though it is surprising to Elisha, it all comes about in accordance with God's intentional, purposeful, sovereign plan. When things seem unexpected to us, God is not taken off guard. When things seem sudden to us, God already has a plan in place. When things are surprising to us, God is already ruling by his sovereignty. What does this mean? It's an example of this very important biblical principle that surprises are very often just the wrapping paper in which God's sovereignty comes. We believe in a God who is sovereign over all things so that the world and your life even is full of surprises. But the world and your life, listen, is not in the grip of blind forces. Like you are the victim of chance luck, fate, or circumstance. We believe that the world and your life is directed by God, that he is sovereign, that the very God whose very being is love rules and overrules all the aspects of his creation so that nothing happens that is outside of his will. This, in some senses, is a hard truth. And so the Bible goes out of its way to again and again emphasize it to us. Let me place this idea in the larger biblical context. First, the Bible says that God is sovereign over the universe. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all the world. The Bible says that God is sovereign over the physical world. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. 
The Bible says that God is sovereign over the nations. You make great nations great and you destroy them. You enlarge nations and lead them away. The Bible says that God is sovereign over your particular circumstances. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not one of them. The Bible says that God is sovereign over our successes and our failures. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. The Bible says that God is sovereign even over things that are, seem accidental. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 16, verse 33. The Bible says that God is in charge of things that seem to us to be relatively insignificant. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Matthew 10, verse 30. The Bible says even that God is sovereign over evil. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. The Bible says that God is sovereign even over suffering for our light and momentary affliction obtaining for us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. The point is that life might be surprising from our perspective, but God is always in control. Life might be surprising from our perspective, but God is always in control. Surprises are just the wrapping paper in which sovereignty sometimes comes. This was true of Elisha. It's true for us as well. Now, we would need an entire series to really wrestle with the implications of our sovereign God, especially as it comes to interacting with questions of evil and suffering, and perhaps one day we will do such a series. Today, though, I want to encourage you to think about this, to wrestle with it, to discuss it after the service in your small groups, and to give you two categories to think about this in as we apply it to ourselves. Positive category and the painful category. First of all, the positive category. Surprises are just the wrapping paper in which sovereignty sometimes comes. And so the positive things that surprise us are all part of his sovereignty. The good things that surprise us, the blessings that enter into our lives are not the result of coincidence. They are not the result of good fortune. They are a result of his sovereign hand. Elisha experienced this as he was given this great honor out of the blue. And sometimes that's how life works. We are surprised with good things that are all part of his care for us. Best example in my life came when I was 14 years old and I am standing in the school play yard and a new girl arrives. And you know the new girl in school, you always kind of, she sticks out, right? Um, The new girl is called Rosie. (laughs) And I make my way over, I'm like, nice, new girl, right? And I make my way over to her and start giving her some excellent chat, right? And it's fair to say she could not have been any less impressed. But I am a man who can fight a war of attrition, and so I pursued it aggressively. And now the girl I met in the schoolyard is, of course, my bride. Um, An amazing sequence of events that the Lord brought about to bring us together. A painful divorce of her parents, then moving up to Edinburgh, her arriving at at our school. A series of events that we didn't plan, we didn't orchestrate, we didn't put together, but the Lord was ruling and overruling because he knew I needed a good wife. (laughs) If that story is a little mushy for you, I'm sorry. Um, I'll get husband points for bringing it up. (laughs) 
and then I'll lose them all for saying that. <laughs> Sometimes God is at work when we don't even know it. What events in your life do you look back on and see that God is at work? What is your Elisha moment? Where is it that you can see that at the time you didn't realize what was happening, but now you see he was active. You met perhaps a friend of a friend who became your spouse. You went to a particular college because it seemed like a good idea and there you ended up being led to Christ. You moved to this area for work and now you find that you've made meaningful relationships with people in this congregation that you just, you just can't imagine living without these people. Where is it that you look back on your life and see at verse 16 moments that although you didn't know what was happening, God was active. You only know this, you have the story, but he was at work. Reflect on these moments because they do two things. First of all, they, they engender great praise. They make us smile as we look back on these moments in our lives. That we had no idea what was happening. We weren't even looking for anything to happen. And yet, even then, the Lord was ruling and overruling to bless us and be kind to us. And it, it just warms our hearts to know that our Father extends such care in the details of our lives. Secondly, though, it gives us confidence. When you look on how God has dealt with you in the past, it gives you great confidence for how he will deal with you in the future. That as surely as he was at work in those days, he is at work in this day. He is at work today in your circumstances. To rule and overrule in ways that we don't even know or imagine in order that he might bless us. Surprise us the wrapping paper in which sovereignty comes. And that's true of those positive things in life. Secondly, though, it's also true of those painful things in life. We do not believe in a God who is sovereign over some things. That is an oxymoron. He is sovereign over all things by definition. And we do not pick and choose those things that we would like for him to be sovereign over. He is sovereign over all things things. It is a hard truth, but the clear testimony of the scriptures. And from time to time, we encounter painful things that surprise us. These two are part of his sovereignty. Elisha experienced this. Uh, He responds joyfully and readily and wholeheartedly to this call, but in the process, he had to kiss several things goodbye. He was required to sacrifice his possessions. He goes and he burns the oxen and he sacrifices them to the Lord and he burns the yokes that he had plowed them with. He is saying goodbye to this way of living. He has to kiss goodbye to his family, his father and his mother and all his friends who he throws this steak dinner for in verse 21. He had to kiss, by, kiss goodbye this, this wealth that he had. He had the, the number of oxen that he had. It really implies to us that he was a man of, of resources. He had to kiss security goodbye. Here he is working the family farm, and now he's called to follow Elijah. Elijah's life is not the easiest life. He's a man who goes from pillar to post across the desert, being chased by an evil king. It's not the kind of life that you think, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And he's a man who has to kiss goodbye even to a sense of standing or reputation. From this secure, wealthy family farm, he goes to be Elijah's servant. Second Kings describes him as the man who pours water on Elijah's hands. He is his assistant. Uh, he is um, 
there merely to attend to his needs. God's sovereignty doesn't mean that hard things, that painful things don't come our way. Elisha knew, as he said goodbye to possessions and family and wealth and security and standing, that sovereignty does not mean that life is easy. And the same is true of us. The same is true of us. There are things in your own life this morning that are ready examples of this truth. Struggles, burdens, sorrows, some known, some unknown. Painful things that you are dealing with, all under God's sovereignty. We open up the flock notes. We share about a young man who has had a heart attack. We share about a wee girl who has cancer. We share of a wee girl who is healed and we share of a wee girl whose cancer comes back. It's so easy for us to feel that things are not the way they're meant to be. And yet even in these situations, God is ruling and overruling by his sovereignty. So what do we do with this? What do we do with God's sovereignty in painful situations? I wish we had a series, and again, maybe we will do one. For just now, two things. Two things. First of all, we think about those painful things that fall under God's sovereignty. The first thing we do, the most important thing we do, is weep with those who weep. We weep with those who weep. Imagine your child has skinned their knee and they come running up to you and there's tears streaming down their face and you scoop them up and you sit them on your lap. A good father doesn't say to their child who is crying, ah, this is all part of the Lord's sovereignty. A good father doesn't get into the kind of theory and theology of it. Do not worry, your blood will clot in this. Cell skins will regenerate and you shall be fine, right? A good father, Derek Harris pointed this out and I loved it. A good father does not say, ah, as the te- tears are streaming down the face. Just think of all those kids with skin knees that you'll be able to help now. <laughs> that is not what a good father does. And that is not what we are to do. Sovereignty does not erase pain or make us stoic to it. Instead, the first place we weep with those who weep. Secondly, we weep with them in the lap of the one who loves us. We weep with them in the lap of the one who loves us. What does the father do? He scoops the child up and he holds them close and he lets them cry and the child feels a bit better for it. That's why they come running to you like that in the first place. And our God has shown us how much as a father he loves us. He has shown us not in this prophet of 1 Kings 19, but in the ultimate prophet who came to die upon the cross. God has shown us that he does not use his sovereignty for his own ends, but to orchestrate history to bring us the biggest surprise of all, Jesus hanging on a cross. And so you sense, you see that God does not use sovereignty to spare himself, but to spare himself on our behalf. God doesn't use his sovereignty to harm you, but to heal you. He doesn't use his sovereignty to leave you lonely. He uses his sovereignty to draw you in and love you. And so we come even in painful moments and do not need to. It's okay if you do, but we do not need to doubt the power, the authority, the sovereignty with which we are loved. Because God has made that clear to us on the cross. 
And so, as his children, we come and we cry when things are painful. But we cry in his lap because we know that he loves us. And in time, perhaps the tears dry and we see that even these painful experiences have a verse 16 to them. Even these painful experiences involve God's good, sovereign hand working on our behalf. And many in this congregation can add their testimony and amen to the fact that the Lord was at work in their life precisely through difficult and challenging circumstances. Surprises are the wrapping paper in which sovereignty sometimes comes. When life seems unexpected, we need to know that God is not taken off guard. When life seems sudden, we need to know that there's a plan in place. When we are surprised, we need to know that God is ruling by his sovereignty. And so we come and we unfold our lives, unwrap our lives, sitting in his lap, because we know that he loves us in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we bow before your sovereignty. We bow before your power. We bow before your might and recognize that by by comparison we are dust. And yet, Lord, we also take refuge in this same power, sovereignty, might. We take refuge because we come as dearly loved children to a father who is ready and able to scoop us up and put us on his lap and assure us that all is well. So, Father, whether we are experiencing the positive things of life or the painful things of life, we come to you and rest in your control, rest in your rule and in your reign. We do not need to doubt because you have proved your care and your concern on the cross itself. Help us to believe these things. We know that you understand when we don't. And so we ask that you would give us the grace of faith. In Jesus' perfect and matchless name, amen.